Welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cars on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! Each week, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photo, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, we'll talk about it. So sit back... And let's shoot the breeze. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, oh what a great backlash! He's done it! Oh, brilliant play! Wiggling his way, that's an excellent ball out, Nini! It's a goal! Four for Clydeback, excellent play by Hughes. I think the player of the match and sweetly finished by and this week we're joined by web designer and a man you might have seen in the background of River City, the cry, the victim, the outlaw king, outlander, John Young. Welcome, John. Hello, thank you. Thanks for joining us. A pleasure to be here. So we've got, we're going to go back to 1972 for this one. You've got a shoot magazine from the 13th of May, 1972, and it's six pens for the magazine. It's a FA Cup finals issue, so this is featuring the Wembley and Hamden finalists, so it's about the Scottish and the English one. The the older one just one thing that about the the shoot on the front of it. So you've got the shoot there in the apostrophe. Um, one of the things about the older magazines, they actually had one of the O's as a football as well, and it's there's a couple of moving wind marks or something as well. So, yeah, so it, it sort of ages the magazine. Regarding the photograph on it, it's Sorry, a is that a kind of graphic design thing? Speed speed lines. Speed lines. Kind of fancy. <laughs> I, I don't know. The, I don't know. Is it speed lines? I don't know. If it, I, I don't know if it's got a proper technical term, but yeah. it just. Uh, yeah, it's to give give it a, the, a the idea of motion. Right. So, the the picture in the front is it's a cracking photograph. I, I love this one. It's one of the, my favourite front covers of any of the magazines, and it's got Frank McClintock of Arsenal and Billy Bremner of Leeds United. And then in, in the centre spot, spot, shaking hands with the referee. Now, Billy's looking down at Frank's books and smiling as if to say, and, and I will swear here, he's as if to say, what the fuck are those? Because Frank's wearing a pair of white Hummel boots, which were very unusual at the time, but not unheard of, um, as a number of players had started to wear them. One of them most notably being Alan Ball. Now, all three seem to be having a good laugh here. About Alan Ball, he wore the boots for the first time in the Charity Shield final in the 70-71 season and he was alerted that Hummel were looking for a big-name player to wear the boots and that they were willing to pay £2,000. It was a lot of money at that time. On wearing them, Ball said, to be honest, they were crap, like cardboard. So I got the young apprentices to paint my Adidas boots white. It was great till one day it rained and the, back, the black came off them. A not-too-happy Hummel rep saw what I'd done, so I said goodbye to two grand. Now, Hummel tell a slightly different story about this. They say, we took the Adidas boots that Alan was wearing for matches and had them sprayed goodness knows how many times, then added the Hummel chevrons on. They were done just in time. In fact, on the Saturday of the game of the Charity Shield, we had to put them on a train in West Yorkshire and they got to Alan just minutes before he needed them for the game. And it says Hummel soon improved the quality of their boots and supplied genuine Hummel white boots to Alan, which he took the field in. 
it's just it's interesting getting those two different sides of that story, you know. And, whether Alan has embellished it over time or, you know, sometimes you can tell a story so much that you start believing it yourself. Yeah. That Hummel story seems oddly specific if it was just made up. Yeah. About getting him on the train. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I would tend to believe Hummel on that one. So another, Charlie George, or Arsenal, also wore white Hummel boots. Uh, Alan Hinton of Derby County, the, the Clybank football team. Yeah, well, so it's commonly perceived that Alan Ball was the first player to wear white boots or coloured boots but actually the Charity Shield on the Monday before the Charity Shield Clybank played Aston Villa in a friendly and all the Clybank team bar Mike Jackson who was a kind of elder statesman of the Clybank team wore white I can imagine wore white, I'm not wearing white boots all <laughs> boots yeah. uh, so Clybank were technically the first yes. team to have worn coloured boots another and, first and, for the Bankies and I, I got in touch with the Hummel rep right uh, and uh he, he came up with this idea because he'd looked at ho- hockey teams. He'd noticed that hockey teams had wore coloured boots mm-hmm. and he was looking for a way to get Hummel a sort of edge in the market. Yeah. And that's what he came up with was, was coloured was coloured boots. Yeah. Uh, and so the Claybank, I don't think the Claybank team didn't get any money because when I spoke to him, he wasn't aware that Claybank <laughs> team had wore. Uh, but he, he'd put them into a lot of sports shops and it was Tosnies and Claybank at the time had, had uh, stocked these coloured boots. Uh, and so, so so what were we saying? Were, was it just a case Claybank players went out and bought them or was it I, a think, I think it was a, I think it was the local sports shop right. and, and the team had done a, a deal or whatever. Maybe because whatever. it was a, a high-profile friendly game, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but we'd worn Claybank worn sort of white boots through the season and then a lot of other Scottish teams had worn white boots and when I was down at, uh, at Arsenal a few years ago doing the stadium tour it was Charlie George that was doing the, uh, was doing the tour and there was a couple of big uh, I remember there were big Arsenal fans and there were two guys who were just delighted to be like, going around the Emirates and looking in the, the, the dressing room and all this and I remember they, and, I, and I sort of kept close to Charlie George through this because yeah. people were getting up and asking him questions and uh, these two guys had been in the pub the, the night before and, and were talking uh, to this Arsenal fan just excited about we're going to meet Charlie George tomorrow and this guy had said he was the first guy to wear colour boots mm-hmm. and they asked him like Charlie were you and he sort of thought for a minute he went no 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 he said it was Alan Ball Alan Ball was the first uh, and, and he said uh, he says oh, Hummel gave me a couple of, couple of grand to, to wear them he says but I remember him saying then they went skint uh, so Hummel sort of went out of business and he says and that was that was that was the game yeah up and, up and smoke for wearing the, wearing the coloured boots mm. and another team Man City I've seen 1969 I've seen Man City in boots now looking at them it's hard to know if they're Adidas ones or Hummel. I think they're Hummel, but it would be even more interesting if they were actually Adidas ones. But 69, so the Man City players were there a few years before this as well. And I think famously George Fleming, Dundee United, wore them as well. So, you know, as I say at the front here, it's it's great. It's very unusual, but it wasn't unheard of at the time. It's a good picture, isn't it? Yeah. So looking at, going into the magazine, and have a look at page two and three. And it's a fitting final for the FA Cup centenary. So the article is a photo of the original FA Cup trophy and the current one. So on the other page there as well, you've got the two trophies. So the original FA Cup was stolen in 1895. Aston Villa had beaten West Brom and the cup was brought to the town for fans to view. While in a sports shop in Aston, the cup was stolen and never recovered. 
and no one was arrested or charged with the theft and its disappearance remained a mystery for more than 60 years when an 80-year-old man, Henry James Burge, confessed to a national newspaper of the theft. He alleges the trophy was melted down that night and made into fake half-crowns. I mean, that's that's quick work, isn't yeah, it? no kidding. Yeah. There's been discrepancies in his account and records from the time meant that there were doubts whether he actually did steal the trophy. So it still remains a mystery until this day. The article itself talks about how Leeds United will take on Arsenal in the 1972 FA Cup final, the centenary final, although there have only been 91 due to the World Wars. So there's another article that says, can Leeds score a football first? So Leeds United have a chance to chalk up their first FA Cup win, FA Cup final win. Arsenal are looking to win their second consecutive FA Cup. If Arsenal were to win the trophy three years running, then shoot suggests that they may be in line for a special trophy where they cite Blackburn Rovers, who were awarded a special trophy for winning it three times in 1886. Yeah, I remember the 100th final being that Manchester City Spurs final of 81. Mm. I seem to remember that being the 100th final. Yeah, rather than the 100th year. Yeah. yeah. So in Scotland, Celtic and Hibs line up for the 87th Scottish Cup final. So there's... About the first three quarters of the magazine are devoted to the FA Cup final, and then we eventually get to the the Scottish stuff. So, uh, we'll go through the English first, we'll just go through it in order. So, there's a number of photos that are showing quite a picture special, isn't it? Yeah, they're looking back at dramatic moments in the history of the cup. The first picture, picture A, shows a goal for West Brom's Bayless against Aston Villa in the 1887 final at Kennington Oval. The picture shows an umpire standing by the far post a role that was abolished in 1891. Interestingly, a role that would be brought back for the likes of Champions League and things like that. So we've now got a, a fourth official right. or a fourth and fifth official that you know, stand by the goals. I think they should be made to wear the bowler hat, same as this guy. Absolutely, I'm all, I'm all for that. And so it also interestingly shows there's no goal net and these weren't invented until 1890. Amazing, isn't it? So I'm ju- I'm just wondering if one led to the other. So 1890, the goal nets were involved, um, were invented. In 1891, the umpires were no longer needed. So part of their role, their role, I guess, was to say, to say it's the actually going in. Aye. So with the nets, you know for sure. So you know it may well be that one led to another. There's a similar story with basketball. Where when they first started basketball, it was peach baskets that they used, and they played it for however many years before they thought to cut the bottom of the basket. So they got a ladder and climb up and take the ball out every time somebody <laughs> scored. Aye, for that's years. Brilliant. I did, yeah. I've never heard that one. That's, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So picture D. You want to talk? I'm going to jump to picture D. Tom. You yeah, anything well, on anything? Well, well, no. Okay. So picture D is Wembley's first FA Cup final in 1923. That's an amazing picture. Yeah. It? So it, it's when Bolton beat West Ham two 0 and the picture here. So there was 126,047 fans were officially admitted into Wembley that day, but many more broke in, and the photo shows some of the estimated 200,000 fans that overflowed onto the pitch. Thinking of those numbers, it's mind-boggling. So we move on to pages four and five. Just skip over here. And it's the Scots skippers who planned to carry off the England's Cup. So from the front cover, we we had Frank McClintock and Bill, Billy Bremner. So Leeds skipper Billy Bremner and Arsenal skipper Frank McClintock. Now, should say, both have the quick temperament of their race. Both have been reared in tough areas and both hate to lose. So... I don't know, do we all have a 
quick temperament being Scottish. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so Brett Bremner, they say, is soccer's little tough guy, but he's mellowed over the years. And McClintock has matured from being an attacking midfielder with Leicester to a back four strong man with Arsenal. He cost Arsenal eighty thousand back in nineteen sixty four. That's a, that's a fair fair amount of money back then. Yeah. yeah, and Bremner was free. Leeds United spotted them on TV playing for Scottish schools versus England. So that's an, an interesting one there. I'm sure I'd heard that before, but uh, yeah. Right. McClintock won the FA Cup for the first time the previous year, having already played in four cup finals before that. And he says, I have cracked that hoodoo now. I now feel confident we can take that silver pot back to Highbury. Bremner says, you have to think you're going to win this, this game. There's no point playing if you go out there thinking otherwise. He continues, I have preached for years that you get nothing for being second. You might get sympathy, but who wants that? Certainly no one around the Leeds camp. I think that just sort of backs up that winning mentality that, you know, that you hear about Bremner or even McClintock, the, the, the great captains, the great players. It's like, listen, who wants second place? Yeah, here to win. Yeah. yeah. So on the game, McClintock says, there are players in both teams who are highly capable of improvising. I cannot agree with those who think it'll be a defensive game. And Bremner agrees and says, I think it could be quite a match. I go along with Frank and forecast there could be a goal or two. Mind you, I think they'll be for us. Frank is right too when he says that there are players on both sides capable of improvisation. Take our Johnny Giles, for example. There is a complete professional, a man always willing to take responsibility. Now, both Bremner and McClintock like scoring. McClintock has scored more than 50 goals in his spells at Leicester National, while Bremner has scored over 70. And shoot, get a little bit sort of poetic and at the end here by stating, so there it is, McClintock from the no-mean city of Glasgow figures he'll carry the trophy back down the Wembley steps. Bremner from the tough quarter of nearby Stirling thinks the same. It'll be no quarter for those Scots so brave. <laughs> I mean, they're getting a bit brave heart there. Just a little it? bit. So, uh, pages 10 and 11. And there's a uh, shoot spotlights the Wembley Cup fighters. So again, you know, there's pages after pages here that are dedicated to this, the warm-up for this final. And, you know, thankfully for us, it's a lot of it is... Scottish, there's Scottish um, theme to it that we can relate to. Not that we can't obviously relate to anything about the English or the, the Irish or the Welsh or anything like that, but you know, it's, it's our um, it's our bag. This, so the spot spotlight on some of the the Wembley Cup fighters, as it says, and so they go through uh, the players from each squad. And I'm just going to pick a few out. So Billy Bremner at Leeds United, they say his strengths are his non-stop energy and his habit of scoring vital goals. Says his weaknesses are his temperament. Uh, Jack Charlton says his strengths is commanding in the air and dangerous in attack, but his weaknesses is he can be caught out of position. Peter Lorimer, one of the most feared forwards in the game, reported to hard, have the hardest shot in soccer. I, I think every time think Peter Lorimer's mentioned in any article, it's uh, all about hot shot Lorimer and that, the hardest shot. I think you've skipped forward a few pages there, by the way. You're on pages, you're looking at 10 and 11. 10 and 11, you're on, yeah. You're on 6 and 7. Oh, you want to? We'll, we'll jump back to that in a wee second. Yeah, where you were going. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not going through every single. Page. Oh, sorry, I was just kidding. Yeah. I, didn't mean I, just <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not what I'm looking at. Sorry. No, I mean, if you want to, if you want to talk about any of the things that I've, I've jumped over, then just uh, by all means jump in. I know. Uh, I just thought you'd done it by mistake. Oh no, this is sorry. this is well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but pages. So we're we're having the the spotlight on the players. Uh, Peter Lorimer, 
one of the most feared forwards in the game, reported to have the hardest shot. Um, weaknesses, not happy taking on fullbacks. And it gets to Johnny Giles, and I like this one. It says, the man who makes Leeds tick. He's got an uncanny accuracy with his passing and is good with both feet. And for his weaknesses, he say, sorry, but we can't see any. So they're a big fan of Johnny Giles, as is, as is Billy Bremner as well, and probably everyone concerned with Leeds. And the last one I'll look at for Leeds here is Eddie Gray. So the strengths, according to Don Revy, Eddie is more exciting than George Best. He has the ability to beat defenders in mazy dribbles. Fortunately, his weaknesses is that he occasionally overruns the ball in those dribbles. So, I mean, it's, there's a few great Scottish names in there. Bremner, Lorimer, Gray. Uh, Leeds, at the time, were famously, you know, it was a Scottish team. Scottish heavy. Most, most teams were. Uh, you know, we look at the Arsenal team and there's not a great deal of Scots in there. We'll, we'll pick on one or two of them, but it wasn't that sort of level of you know, numbers in the team. I think just from memory, one of the other teams that I've I've noticed in the stuff that I do, I think Fulham is one of the ones that just historically seemed not to have that many. And it's a strange thing. I wonder why that is. Every other team asked it for a lot. A London thing, Wales. maybe? Well, I mean, under London clubs, Spurs, even oh, yeah, Chelsea, yeah. Arsenal, they, they, you know, there's always these periods where there's, there's a large number of, of Scots mm-hmm. in it. And I just... Haven't seen, I've, I've not seen a team photo for Fulham that I think there's a Scott, there's a Scott, there's a Scott, there's a Scott. And, you know, maybe maybe, maybe it'll get answered one day, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to be today. So we'll look at some of the, the Arsenal players here. So we'll start with a name which I'm not, not overly familiar with, um, but it's the Arsenal goalkeeper for the day. It's Jeff Barnett. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I honestly couldn't have told you he was their goalkeeper in the yeah. 72 FA Cup final. Yeah. It was a late replacement for Bob Wilson, though. Yeah, right? well, I th- I th- he played in the semi-final the as well. Semi-final as well. But yeah, I, I, I've got a little detail on him a, a little bit. But yeah, he, he came in, he didn't play that many games. But Bob Wilson was injured, so he comes in. Um, strengths, good positioning, weaknesses, not impressive at corners. Which I think, you know, for for a. A goalkeeper who doesn't play that often, no. for for somebody to say, ah, he's not that good at corner. I mean, how many corners is he facing? Yeah. So Peter Story, harder than nails, if that's possible. He says for his strengths, he said, "Well, that's it. He's so strong. His weaknesses is distribution." So I think we can, from just those two two lines there, we can work out the sort of player that a big clogger. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no nonsense. You know, he'll go, th- he'll go through you, but he'll also go through the ball and just launch it. I'm probably underselling him. I'm sorry, Arsenal fans out there or anybody <laughs> that likes Peter Story. I will research him and find out exactly what he was like and come back to you. So next one, Frank McClintock says he's an inspiration to all around him. His strengths is that he reads the game so well and his weaknesses is that speed on turn is suspect. Uh, next one is Alan Ball. A bundle of energy in midfield, it says... Strengths is he never gives less than 100% and is a good passer of the ball. Weaknesses, he lacks speed. Now, I'm getting this impression that Arsenal aren't a very quick team. Sounds like it. So, I'm I'm, I'm going to guess, and once again, I'm sorry, Peter Story, I'm guessing he's not going to be somebody who's got a lot of pace. Leaves the centre circle very much. McClintock, speeding the turn suspect. Alan Ball, he lacks speed. But thankfully, Charlie George, well, in fact, no, not thankfully, if we think about it. So it says, Charlie George, strengths, excellent close control in tight situation, thunderbolt shot, 
weaknesses, his work rate. I'm, I'm not getting a good vibe here for Arsenal. No. Uh, I mean, they may be, maybe they just pass the ball, pass the ball, and you know, pass the team off. Next one, George Graham, and he's called Stroller, but he runs as much as any other player. Uh, Strengths probably the best header in the Gunners lineup. Anybody want to take a guess what his weaknesses is? Is it somebody who may not been very fast? <laughs> he lacks speed. <laughs> so you know, I, I haven't deliberately picked those ones out because it's all about. It just turns out that all the ones that I was interested in looking at lack speed lack or speed. you know mobility and things mm-hmm. like that. So we're going to move on to pages twelve and thirteen. So this is a double-page spread of colour photos showing Leeds United up against Birmingham City, who they beat 3-0 in the semi-final of the Cup. So Leeds United are in their all-yellow, I'm assuming this is their away kit, while Birmingham are in a red and white away kit as well. It's like an inverse Ajax. Mm-hmm. Or, to get the Scottish theme, Clay the, the, the Hearts as well. Clay, Clay Bank as well, yeah. Strip kind of similar. Now, Tom, you may be able to help with this. Um, I'm sure I remember a rule in the English F- FA Cup back in the day that if both teams clashed, they both wore their away kit. Do you know anything about that? Uh, <clears throat> I couldn't tell you if that was... That was you couldn't hear you, wouldn't it? <laughs> it rings a bell, though. It does ring yeah, a bell. Because, I mean, <clears throat> that yellow kit, that's not their, their home kit that season. It's obviously white is their home kit, isn't it? Right. Um, so it's just... Maybe it's something we can, we can check on. I'm sure yeah. there was a game as well where both teams' um, kits clashed and the other team, I think there was an issue with their away kit as well. Mm. So they wore the other team's away kit. Yeah. I can't remember who the, who the two teams were. That rings a bell as well. Sure that, uh, that rings a bell. I can't can't figure what, but you know, it sounds familiar. Mark, Mark, have a wee, have a wee search on that one there, Tom. <laughs> so, uh, just notable in that Leeds United strip as well is they wore a thing that was the thing only Leeds United did uh, is that sock garter number. I noticed that the flashes. On Nobody the socks. else it never took off. I don't think anybody else ever Aye. did that. I'm sure there was a Scottish team Scotland. that did it. Scotland did as well. No, I don't know if it was. Mother, I'm thinking Motherwell. I'm sure that I, they're certainly the first and the the most well known. Um, the fact that I can't think of the other one means the other one obviously <laughs> isn't that well known. But I'm sure I'm sure there was another. I'm sure I've seen it with another team. But I will I will check on that. Yeah, but it's never even. I mean, even in a modern era, where they put numbers in the front of the shirt and numbers in the shorts, numbers in the back of the shorts, nobody's ever really bothered trying to put numbers on socks. This was um, Paul Trevelyan, was it? Mm-hmm. This this was all his. Things like that were, were his work that he came up yeah. with these ideas and about Leeds lining up and applauding their fans and turning around. You've, you may have seen the photographs when they do that. You know, they just line up and they, they applaud the fans and turn around to their side and applaud the fans. So that was all. Paul Trevelyan, so he yeah. was the artist. Yeah, yeah, who, who does like the You Are the Ref and things like that in Shoot Magazine. I'm sure that there's loads of stuff. Um, I'll need to look it out for another one, but there's loads of stuff that he's just came up with that. You know, you just wouldn't think that you think, oh, is that him? That's great. But he's a very good artist as well. So, pages 14 and 15, we're just going to jump on again. And uh, it's got shoot singles out the key men in the attack and defence. So, again, it's the same sort of idea. They're spending a bit more effort going through them. Uh, Norman Hunter it says, no one footed wonder. He's as hard as they come, but he's not dirty. 
He'll make his mark at Wembley because of his consistency, and that's a hallmark of greatness. I like the fact that Dirty's in inverted commas. He's yeah, not yeah. a dusty player. Yeah, I th- well, and I think Leeds were, at the time, I mean, it's Dirty Leeds, isn't it? That's, ah, that's what pleasure. everybody calls him. Uh, rightly or wrongly, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's a reason for that. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of players who were tough, but really good. But th- there are some players who were dirty. I don't think Norman Hunter was one of them. I think he was one of the ones who was tough. Uh, he was born in Gateshead and he started at Leeds in the youth team from, he was there between 59 and 62. And he was at Leeds from in the, the senior team, 62 to 76, making 540 league appearances. He moved to Bristol City, 76 to 79, made 108 appearances there and finished up at Barnsley between 79 and 82. He's got 20 England caps and he did a little bit of managing after, did a little bit of player managing at Barnsley while he was still there and then managed Rotherham for a couple of years as well. So he was a member of the 1966 World Cup squad and he received a winner's medal in 2007. So I'm sure we spoke about this before where the only players who got medals were the players who were on the pitch for the 1966 World Cup, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, was that a standard practice back then? Or I, was I, that a... I don't know if it was a, just an English FA thing. They, mm. they only accepted that. But it turns out in 2007, um, it was at Downing Street, I think it was Gordon Smith or something. Who was it? No, Gordon Smith. Gordon, Gordon Brown. 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 Um, you know, invited them all and rewarded them. Which, you know, it's their nation's greatest footballing yeah, achievement. Exactly, yeah. and, and incredible that they didn't get it. So 2007, he got his medal. Now, his nickname, Bite Your Legs, so we've heard that one before, haven't we, Tom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you know that the name originates from the final that we're talking about? So the, the cup final, there was a banner that was held up by Leeds fans that read, Norman bites your legs. <laughs> and Brian Clough apparently commented on it before the game and just popularised it. And so from that point onwards, it was bite your legs. You can't beat the fans' banner, eh? Yeah. Uh, fans' banners, that was uh, just tremendous. Cup finals and... Mm-hmm. World Cups and stuff like that, where fans would make their banners. And yeah, but now it's all, they're always trying to be a bit uh, different, a bit cookie, a bit, a bit mm. you know. It's like just keep it. I mean, you get it in marches and stuff as well. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, like, yeah. it's like listen, it's 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 not as funny as you think. <laughs> you know. So he was also the first winner of the PFA Players Player of the Year in seventy three, seventy four, and he signed. As I say, for Bristol in October 76 for 40,000. I moved to Barnsley in June 79. He made his debut for England in 1965. Uh, So back to the article, Don Revy says, In Norman Hunter, we have the most consistent professional in football. He's the most professional footballer that I have ever known. I mean, that's that's pretty high praise coming from Don Revy. The highest. Uh, And shoot, ask, is he all one-footed? Is he all just left peg somebody's all you know there's always people who are they're trying to put people down and Billy responds Billy Bremner responds says what utter nonsense I have played 300 maybe 400 games with him and I honestly don't think he said three which could be termed below average as for this one foot lark he was a very fine right foot he has scored some great goals with both I think that he's pretty much put shoot in their place with that one right. uh, we want to be second so that's another article by Peter Lorimer 
or it says hot shot Peter Lorimer. So you can't miss that. It's it's always within his name. So we want to be second, he says. So Peter talks about the, the game. He says, around 4.45 in the afternoon of May the 6th, there's only one thing I want to be doing, climbing up those famous Wembley steps ahead of Arsenal. And, you know, for us, that, that doesn't seem as if it's... Yeah, yeah. well, what's, what's so special about that? But he says, this year I understand that the losers are to receive their medals first and the winners second. So for once, Leeds want to be second. He don't even think about it, that it may have been done in a different way right. previously. So, you know, the, 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 the losers go up first or, the, you know... So, but I guess there always has to be a first time for something and it just so happened that this was for that. Uh, he says, on a personal level, a winner's medal would go very nicely with the other honours I have picked up over the past few years with Leeds, especially as the FA Cup is the only domestic trophy which Leeds haven't won yet. I would dearly love to score as I haven't managed a goal in either of the two previous Wembley finals. And then, let's go back to the hot shots. He says, talking about hot shots, many people ask me how hard, how many people, absolutely everybody I'm guessing here, <laughs> yeah. they ask me how hard I actually hit a ball. He says, well, my shooting has been electronically timed at 74.9 miles per hour. I mean, and those old balls as well. That's that's absolutely astonishing. That he says, in the face right off you. Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm convinced that I can strike a ball a wee bit harder than the official recording shows. Maybe Jeff Barnett, the Arsenal keeper, will testify to this after Wembley. It's going to be extra for them as well because they didn't have gloves on. Oof, yeah. Bare-handed goalkeepers. Yeah. Well, I mean, even... Well, some of them did. Well, the, the, the gloves that they did have were like, you know, we refer to them as gardening gloves yeah. and things like that. And, you know, I've seen some of them. Just on that, I, I don't really, I don't know which World Cup it was. Maybe 86, maybe 82 was probably the first time that I saw gloves like that. Because I, I, I was only a wee boy, only used to these yellow, you know, knitted gloves that had rubber pimples yeah. Yeah, yeah, on them. So, and even... After that, the only time I got any sort of padding, it was I remember it was ski gloves <laughs> that I got. There'd be a couple of metal things that you could clip them together. Oh, okay. I remember them so vividly. They were silver. And for me, that was like, wow, these are great gloves for goalkeeping. And it wasn't until I went to uni that I got my first proper pair of gloves. So, I heard, I heard a story about Auntie Niemi. I don't know how true this is. It was somebody who was a, a physio saying when he was at Hearts, he broke his finger uh, or two fingers. And he got some gloves specially made that had little spines mm-hmm. on the fingers. So it was like three on each finger, so that when he, his hand bent back, they connected and stopped his fingers from bending backwards. But it meant he can bend his hand forward, but not back, yeah. just to protect his finger. That that is a thing, and it's, um, it's finger save they call them. Yeah. I think um, it used to be they, they were built into it, but then they started making them. So if you want, you could just take them. I mean, that's what they were—just plastic yeah. spines. Um, I've I've. I've used them a few times and it, I think it, it just feels as though, unless you've got an injury, mm-hmm. it just feels as though it restricts your movement, which is what it's supposed it's to do. I mean, it's it's hyperextension, I think they call it, was basically stubbing your finger or, right. you know, spraining your finger. So it's definitely something that's out there and there is, I mean, things like I, I dislocated one of my fingers and it, stupidly I still went, I mean, I got it set back in, but then the next week I was going to play. And you can get gloves that have fused fingers as well. All oh, right, okay. So, you, you know, you end up with the claw. That's probably where the claw came from. <laughs> so, for people that don't know, this is uh, Andy's profile picture on Twitter <laughs> where he's holding his hero Jim Gallagher's hand 
in a claw-like fashion. Have you seen this? <laughs> so that there's uh, yeah. So yeah. Since we've not talked about this story before, we may as well. Um, so I met my, my hero Jim Gallagher, Clyde Bank goalkeeper, and got a photograph with him. And I, I just thought, yeah, I've got a photograph of my. And even my brother at the time said to me, I was standing there thinking, what's he doing? What's he doing with you? And I, I, I'm holding. It's I can't, I don't even think I can do it again. But basically, it looks as though I've only got three. <laughs> Three hoot, you know, claws on my hand. Because they're I'm, not I'm, shaking hands, and he's sort of just holding, yeah. holding on. It's, it's like that. So, so Jim, Jim's got his in like a fist, and I've got my my hands over the fist, and it just it does look like a claw, <laughs> and it's. How old are you in this picture? Oh, it was only two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think you mean as a kid. No, no, no. This was this was this was fully fully adult. You know, there's, there's, there's no reason behind it. But I'd, I've been dying to meet him for years and things. Um, so listen, it just. Makes the moment all that bit more special. That it's just know. what happens, isn't it? Yeah, goalie's there, you just grab his fist. Yeah, like, I, I was trying to, I was trying to extract the the, the goaliness from him into myself. Uh, so a home game. So let's get back to this. So George Armstrong, Arsenal's George Armstrong is up next, and he says a home game in inverted commas, and he says about Leeds on their day. Leeds United can beat any team in Europe. Let me say that my comments are restricted to the performances at Elland Road. Away from home, they are less than impressive. Wembley has become their second home to Arsenal, and this is one of the main reasons why I feel we will come out on top. And at one point, Wembley did become a second home to Arsenal, didn't Or a first home. They did. It was, yeah, in yeah. Spurs as well. Uh, yeah, they, Spurs they, recently, yeah. Yeah. So, of all Leeds' strengths, I rate the midfield combination of Giles and Bremner as a trump card. I'm looking forward to playing with Alan Ball. The combination of his excellent service and Wembley's wide open spaces suits my style. So, there's a, moving on to another article. As I say, it's all just little articles here and there talking about the, you know, just preparing you for the cup finals. And it's this time, Arsenal's second choice keeper, Jeff Barnett. He says, I know I'm good enough for the first team. So that, that's the heading there. And he goes into a little bit of background about getting to this stage in, in the final. He says, it was Bob McNabb who convinced me that I could go to Wembley and come away with a winner's medal. So Bob McNabb's another Arsenal player. He says, I was sharing a room with him before the semi-final replay at Stoke. And Bob asked him, do you think you're good enough? And Jeff replied, Yeah. He said, well, that's all that matters, isn't it? And Jeff says, I couldn't argue with him. I mean, that's if, if only, if I mean, if that could work in that situation, it'd be like, you could deal with any problem with that. the best motivational speaker yeah. ever. So, do you think you can do it? <laughs> yeah. So, well, go do it. Sorry, get it done. Yeah, okay, and the, the, the invoice is in the, the post as well. <laughs> uh, so... He goes on to say, if I look a bit untidy when I walk onto the Embley, Wembley pitch, it's because I won't have combed my hair. I have never combed it in the dressing room since a schoolboy match when I was 14. I forgot to do it and then played a blinder. That's how most of these superstitions start, isn't it? You do something, yeah. have a good game, you try and keep doing that thing. Yeah, and uh, forget about all the bad games you have in between exactly. where you've done the same thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've, I've been talking about my... I apologise for my... my um, I sort of joke about it. Um, I don't have superstitions, but I sort of joke about the fact that whenever I let a goal in, I buy a new pair of gloves. So I've got a big room full of gloves, you know. And it's it's made up. Being an adult has made up for me not having any gloves as I was a youngster. Mm -hmm. 
So we'll, we'll take a little look at Jeff here. So his full name's Jeffrey Colin Barnett. He was born in Northwich in 1946. So he's 73 at the minute. Uh, he played for Everton between 62 and 69, and he made 10 league appearances. So being a goalkeeper, a backup goalkeeper yeah. back then, I mean, sometimes you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even be on, on the bench because... No. You know that, so he, he but some of that would have been his youth career as well, though. Sixty-two because yeah. he won the youth cup in sixty-five. Right. So yeah, I had been, I'd been his sort of youth. Was that ten appearances in seven years. That's mm. got to be pretty disheartening. Yeah, yeah. But uh, listen, you, you you see it sometimes in the English Premiership, well, anywhere really. Yeah. There's <coughs> top top goalkeepers that are quite look as though they're quite happy sitting on a bench, right. and I'd be like, listen, as if it was me, I'd be like, I want to play. You know, I, I don't just want to turn up, you know, get kitted, warm up, do all the training, do yeah. all the warm downs, and then go away not having... Especially if you've got, like, interna international aspirations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't get it. I never have. I, I mean, I think years ago there was a, um, Theo Stelders came to Rangers and I think pretty much sat on the bench for, for quite a large part. And I'm like, I, I just... Can't, can't Depends imagine. what stage of your career you're at, though. Eh? I think maybe early in your career, you're a goalkeeper, you're maybe expecting to be mm. sitting on the bench, and then late in your career, you're happy to maybe also, be back uh, up. Yeah, it may, may suit the manager and the team that you've got an experienced keeper sat on the bench that you know, is happy with that. Get the odd cup game or yeah, something and they like can that, just probably. they can just you know if they're called upon, they're there. I mean, I'll go back to Clay Bank here, and I mean Stiggs that sort of goalkeeper as well. I'm not saying he's happy sitting on the bench. Yeah, well, I mean, he's player coach, so yeah. he's, got an, he's got another role. Yeah. He's fulfilling. And, you know, I, I, and, and the juniors is a kind of... Well, I, I mean, I always think the juniors, it's really it's really difficult to get a good backup keeper. Yeah. Uh, because any good... In the juniors, you just get your one game on a Saturday. You don't have a reserve team. You've not got a Wednesday night game or a Monday night game. So it's just a, a Saturday. So any, if you whenever at Claybank we've had two good keepers, usually the keeper who's lost his place has moved on quite yeah. quickly or has chucked it or, or, or whatever. Because guys in their twenties shouldn't be sitting no. on the bench. There's not going to, to be much rotation in that sort no, of exactly. thing. They want they want they want to be playing. So I, I believe in the, in the juniors. It should be that your subkeeper should either be player coach or it should be for the under like nineteen yeah. team. No, it should be a guy who's playing on the Sunday or the Friday night or whatever. Probably the Sunday and then he's on the bench no, no, on a Saturday uh, in case he's called on. I'm not going to argue with that at all. Uh, but yeah, but I, there's a lot of these guys. Like maybe like Steve Grizovich is a guy mm -hmm. I'm thinking about as well. Who was who was at Liverpool for a, for a lot of for a lot, a lot of years and didn't get many games, and then eventually went to Coventry and and played and played regular. Yeah. Well, I guess when, when you're at a big club, you're a keeper. You're waiting to get your your chance, whatever your chance is. Yeah. And maybe in that era, the seventies, you didn't have that where you would play in the League Cup because they played the first team in the League Cup, yeah. played the first team in the FA Cup. These days. Your substitute keeper, your reserve keeper, will get a shot in, in those kind of cup games. But there's there's a point where you you go, I'm not going to get a chance here. It's time to move on. But when you're at a club like Arsenal, it's like a Liverpool. It's like when do you, how long do you leave yeah. it, kind of thing, you know? Because if you can if you can get in and secure your place, then that should maybe your career made, or you you're probably stepping down a mm. good few a good few levels, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. I'm sort of thinking about where we spoke about Neville Southall and he turned pro in his early 20s and he spent up to that point playing the, well, the equivalent of junior football and non-league football down there and 
you know, getting that experience. And I'd, I'd question why these sort of goalkeepers wouldn't be out farmed out there to get the experience and keep them, you know, because it's not as if they can play on the because they're, they're not subs. They can't play yeah. on the day, but if there's an injury, they can just get called back straight yeah. away. So you know, maybe. maybe Maybe that did happen. Maybe it's just not recorded down anywhere really easily for us. You know, if it's not easy for us to find, then we're not going to dig too far. Yeah. So, right. you know, maybe, but it's, I, th- I think there is this ongoing thing that a lot of keepers didn't, and it's keepers especially for obvious reasons, but they just didn't get, they sat there, whether they were happier with it or not, just not getting game time until an opportunity comes. I mean, if we look, you got ten, 10 appearances in the league at Everton, 49 at Arsenal, which is all right, but it's between 69 and 76. So seven years, seven games a season on average. I wouldn't be happy with that. Then the most they had is when he went to the States with Minnesota kicks um, between 76 and 80. So, you know... T- t- yeah, I mean, you don't... Again, you don't... I mean, what's his, what's his option? His options probably were moving down. You know what I mean? Who knows if he had opportunities to go to other clubs, but your yeah. opportunities maybe moving at the second division or the third division and playing regularly... So I guess there's that thing, do you want to be at a big club mm-hmm. or do you want to maybe have to take a, a job and go part-time and play get, regular? Did he get many caps? He never got any caps. Maybe that was, didn't he think he well, was he in, got, No, he never got any at all. No. He's maybe thinking he's not going to be on the international team, so just sit and take my wages. I mean, one of the, one of the strange, because he, he basically played as number two to Bob Wilson and there was a couple of times where Bob was injured and he'd come in. As soon as Bob was... Available again, again. boom, down to the reserves. But then the Arsenal signed Jimmy Rimmer as a replacement for for Bob Wilson. And you think at that point, you think the writing's on the wall. But he actually stayed for another two years as his understudy. He may have been on good money. Yeah, at that time, it must have been. I yeah. mean, unless you know, maybe listen, who knows? We, we, we're, we're talking about this from away here in a different time. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just whole family circumstance meant. He was happy doing that. It was, you know, he was earning a living. All his family were there. He enjoyed it. Life was good. You can't argue with that. So maybe I'm being a bit harsh. So (laughs) there we go. As I say, he went to the US with Minnesota kicks and he managed with them briefly as well before returning to England where he ran a pub in Cheshire until 2010. So he's he's ended up running a pub. Who'd have thought that about an ex-footballer? Can you imagine? Yeah. So we just jump along to page 16 here and there's a nice advert of Puma football shoes leave the rest standing. And it's a photo of Pele as well as the boots and a carry case. And Pele says, I play my greatest in Puma shoes. Uh, We've got the Puma Racing at £4.40 and the Puma Pioneer at £3.30. Pardon? I'll have two pair, two each. <laughs> it says, from leading sports shops, send nine pence in stamps for a free copy of the 1972 Puma catalogue. And it says, Alfred Reader and Company were referred to as the sole UK agents. Is that and a they, pun, do you think? I don't know. A soul, the soul of the shoe. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I, I never even, I never even, that went past me, but yeah, the sole UK agents. But they're actually still trading, that, that company. Um, wow. But see, Known, you know, the sort of thing I do about collecting nostalgia and knowing everybody who's as mental as me on, on Twitter that collects all these things, just that free copy of the 1972 Puma catalogue would... Is I that, mean, that something, that would, something would collect, Oh, aye? there'd be people salivating aye. just at the thought of that. 
That that would be like, oh yes, yes. Listen, I've I've spoke about this before, and I'm going to speak about it again. <clears throat> One of my favourite things. I have a a World Cup wall chart from 1982 from Radio Rentals. I've got it, you know, framed right. in all my hallway wall because is that like a piece of art. But it is as well. It's, it's absolutely fantastic graphics on it and the colours and stuff. But it's just because it it reminds me so much about a lot of. It's a nostalgia thing yeah, as well. It's, it's, it's like my favourite World Cup. It's like I remember getting the... It's, I'd, I'd got this wall chart off of eBay um, and the reason I still didn't have more, I, I wouldn't have kept it anyway, but I went down to the shop, Radio Rentals, managed to blag a couple, filled them in and after the World Cup, I would, you know, you think, ah, just throw away ben. some. But there was loads of flags on it, so I would cut the flags out. And I can't even remember what I did with them, but I would have played games or something mm -hmm. like that. And there was like all these flags and all this. And, you know, you get every single, I would say pennies worth, but they were free. And it's just so, there's so many memories just looking at it. And I thought, that's the sort of thing that I'm going to put in my wall. Ah, that's a good reason to put something up on your wall yeah. for sure. So on, on the same page um, underneath... Can we just, the, yeah? just on that Puma sure. advert, see the, the full quote from Pelly? Yeah. What do you think are the chances that he actually said that? I don't know. There was um, was it Peter Serafinovich said he he did the voice of Pelly and the the I don't know. See, I'm, I'm maybe confusing this the truth with a lie. I've probably seen this in a game show where it's either a true or a lie, and I can't remember if it was true it was or not. Right but he was. said that he he did. I think I'm going to go with yeah. He said it was true. He did the the voice of Pelly when he was in the shower selling the or talking about the the. Viagra yeah and so what we're talking about <laughs> did Pelly say that I doubt it it doesn't it doesn't sound natural does it no it doesn't it, yeah it's I play my bit it's just like yeah whatever how much money are you going to give me yeah, you just I'll... think you guarantee if you got Pelly to say something he would have said it in Portuguese first of all you had to translate it to English would it have come out like that I don't think it would have yeah. but I mean he put his name to it so he's probably he's been paid to to have his name on it I, so. I would dread to think the amount of things that Pelly has advertised over the years, yeah. and I'm sure he, I'm sure he's probably got free items and things like that, but they're probably sitting together in dust in a in a room somewhere. Uh, but I mean, the the boots themselves, they, they they don't necessarily. I mean, this is what seventy two still, so mm -hmm. they don't look that flexible or that. They sort of still look a bit boaty, don't they? Yeah. You think, Tom? Yeah, but it's that uh, it's that flash, that puma. Yeah. Stripe. Mm -hmm. That you want, and that you would you would covet yeah. as a as a as a kid looking at this, and that hold all as I well. I would have that hold yeah. all now. Yeah, big hold all, a big puma. It's a cracking well, that, bag. That, that, that would yeah, that would be on, that'd be selling for a lot of money Absolutely. these days. I can just imagine a sort of light blue, a sort of turquoise maybe. Turquoise probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. So or maybe yellow for Brazil. Maybe yellow for Brazil. Yeah, yeah. that's a good shout. Yeah. Okay, so. Further down, we're, we're um, going from Puma Boots to Subutio. So it says, Subutio Table Soccer. So there's a photograph of a wee boy holding a Subutio box, and it is huge. It's the biggest Subutio it's, box ever I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't... I mean, we collect the Subutio, but I can't ever remember thinking, this box is absolutely huge. Mm. Which, looking at the size of him compared to the box, you probably would have remembered. So, But then again, 72, I was born in 72, so probably would have got the first Subutio... What 
79-80 maybe a bit later than that so they would have been a bit more streamlined I think they say that's the floodlighting edition as well so it's maybe got <laughs> extra stuff in it oh the floodlighting edition I've, I've, I've got a I've got a thing about the beautiful floodlights I, I I say I think they actually suck light out of the room. <laughs> you know, it's have you ever have you ever seen the suits of beautiful? They, they don't light anything. They yeah. don't provide, and they take the big batteries as well, and they last for about two minutes, and then, mom, you get any more of those batteries? <laughs> no, I don't. So, so yeah. I, I remember putting the light out in the kitchen and having because of the the cloth over the over the kitchen table which was smaller than the actual sort of football <laughs> pitch so it wasn't even really the proper full yeah. fit because we never get the board and all that kind of yeah. kind of stuff yeah and, and I had the light sitting on the top of the table basically on the pitch <laughs> and it was still dark <laughs> and I had to, I, got, I still got it at the wee Jules Jules Remy trophy that came with that came with it see I always I always think that for me personally, I know some people absolutely love Subiu, and I, I, you know, loved it as well to a degree. But I think, for me, the joy was in the setup of it. Mm-hmm. It was about setting everything up. I mean, we didn't have stands and all that stuff. We couldn't afford that sort you of thing. Stands it, yourself. Yeah. Well, like this, cereal this, boxes this, and stuff. Yeah, the stuff we made, but it was, um, it was, it was. I wasn't really that interested in playing the games. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if yeah, other people actually. wanted to play them, yeah. I'd be quite happy watching them. Oh yeah. Like, well, nowadays, when you hear about Sabu, people don't talk about how good the game itself was. Mm. It's more about the, the getting teams, your team and stuff. The teams, and, uh, the boxes of teams, and all, yeah. the, the, all the things that the wee scoreboard you used to get. Yeah, it's yeah. All the all those wee the things wee that, went, that you turned to. Turn yeah, absolutely went with it. It was all that. It was kind of creating the football atmosphere and all that, but not the actual game. Well, I, we, we, I don't think I even played the game properly. I used to drag <laughs> the wee guys I think out I probably did as well, and actually. held the top of them and dragged them Stick about. Stick your hand the through with the goalie and just yeah. push the ball forward. Or the goalie, you just go side to side really quickly like that. It's like, oh, stop it. A bit like when you do table football and you spin. It's like, no, you can't uh, do that with the But what we used to do as well, because just putting this beautiful pitch on the carpet, wasn't it? But we had a, a thick... I was going to say a khaki coloured. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there's a sheet. I'm I'm sure it's from the war. I'm sure it was from the war. It was that sort of, you know, tog to it and Military. The, the the roughness. But we would put that as a base, and then if you were really serious, you would get the iron out mm. on the subutal pitch, and you'd iron the subutal pitch as well. Um, and then you would play it that way. But yeah, as I say, it was a setup. The setup for me was was where the joy was. My dad uh, worked at Yarrow's at the time when I was wee, and he brought home a big bit of plyboard. So our beautiful mm. table was drawn, pin, pin right. onto, the, onto the plyboard. But we never, again, we never played the game. Yeah. I think we played it for five minutes, and the cat stole the ball. Yeah, never to be seen again. Yeah. I, I, I know, sorry, I, I know of people like what you've just said there who have actually stuck it to the the right. board as well. So yeah, it's a it's a well well travel path that I think. <laughs> Um, but what one of the other things that we used to do, um, so me and my brothers, it was my brother Paul who came up with the idea. So like in these magazines, you would have a double page spread team photo, right? Or you'd even have a single page one. And what we used to, we'd make our own cards from them, small cards, smallish cards. So you would get the the picture of the face and maybe some of the strip in it and stuff. And at the bottom, you would write the player's name. So if you can imagine this, we, we take a cereal packet for the cardboard, mm-hmm. We'd, we would cut out the face to go onto it, write the name, and then we would wrap it around with sellotape. So you've got these these cards. Um, but the great thing about it was 
you could make all these different... So if Subutal get into different teams, you had to basically have a bit of cash for that. But with this, you could make, you know, PSV or um, Ajax or, you know, all these different teams and you could have them. And you got to know the players, you got to know what they looked like. And what he, what he used to do, we had a... For the ball, it would be like a little metal ball bearing as well. And you would just use the Subutal pitch. But he would... This is what I'm saying about what I'd rather watch again. But he would do leagues and things, and he would do both sides and do the commentary and stuff like that. And it would be absolutely fascinating. You'd just be sitting there watching it and following it. And and I know some other people have. I don't think they've done something quite as similar as that. But they've used things like the the sh the the league tabs. Do you mm -hmm. remember those that mm -hmm. used to get so the we could move them? They've used those to actually track competitions that they do themselves. So rather than using it for the actual football that's going on, mm -hmm. they do their own competitions and that's how they track it. So I, I love that, how different people use these things. As I say about the, the World Cup wall chart, you use it and you use everything about it and right. you get the most out. And that's something that's been lost, I think, for, for a lot of kids because it's a throwaway culture, isn't Aye, it? They don't use their own imagination these days mm -hmm. either. Everything's fed to them. Yeah. Aye. So for me, that's, that's, a, that's a loss to society and all that. Uh, so, in the table soccer, the Subutio advert, there's a, another photograph of a wee boy playing goalkeeper behind the goal as someone flicks the ball at him. Um, now, I didn't. I don't think I knew at the time this. I don't think I knew at the time that we had the Subutio about this flick for kick or mm -hmm. flick to kick. I. That, that was something that I only became aware of when I started going through these magazines again and it seemed as though everybody else knew it. So, were you aware of it at the time? Flick, don't flick think, no, I don't think at the time. I don't think I played it like that. Yeah. But, but, the, but, uh, but what I mean is the actual phrase, flick, flick kick. Flick no. No, I've never that. No. Yeah, because it seems to me that now I pretend, oh, yeah, I flicked a kick. Yeah, I don't know about that. But it was, you know, I was an adult before, yeah. you know, a grown adult before... I know they've got a similar game in America that's called flick football, but I don't know if that's if that's actual subutio or if it's a different thing. Mm. So I know there's a flick thing with that, but I've never heard is, that. Was that, is that something before. which is out at the moment or no? From similar sort of times to this, aye. Would there have been thing? American football? I think so, I guess. Aye, yeah. Because I know subutio have done all different. So they they do a cricket, they do uh, the best one, the second, but they do rugby. And have you seen the angling one? No. They do angling. There's a there's a subutio angling. One, oh, it's absolutely fa fascinating. We'll, you we'll, we'll just tell you we'll get line and just toss it. You know, I, I think it's a, I think it's more a sort of board game sort of thing, um, rather than anything like that. Whereas the rugby, the rugby has a, a sort of thing that you press. I think you put the ball in it and you press it, and it can come out of any of the different. So it's a scrum, and uh, so the ball can come out of any of the different corners. So you press it down, and it's like boom. I've, what happens then? I don't know. Um, the cricket. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I haven't played them, so I've I've only seen the advert, so I'm, I can only guess what the what the games involve. But um, so beautiful. The balls remember is you would always you know you you would start off with these great great teams, all great, brilliant, and then within a couple of months they look as if they've been to war, uh, arms missing. And, yeah, and, uh, and basically what used to be a player is now just a bit of. Super glue, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just the base. It's there, plastic base. Yeah. That's it. The guy's got yeah. there's one foot left. Mm. So different days. So there's another advert on the same page. So it's you can be a real he-man, and this is Charles Atlas, 
and it's talking about dynamic tension. So I'm just assuming this is one of these bulwarkers again. That's uh, or is it something as different? As far I'm aware, it's putting your putting your muscles in tension and just holding it mm-hmm. rather than doing like repetitions with weights. So you could just like lean against the door and just push your arm right, against so, the door. So it's, or not, so it's a technique rather a than technique a technique rather than a system. Okay. Aye, but right. I guess I guess the the bulwarker is a, the same another thing, method. Aye. Of we that. did say something about um, about doing it without any contraptions. It is. Uh, <laughs> I don't waste your time and energy with strenuous exercises, weights, and other contraptions. So mm-hmm. I think it's just bet, all just you yeah. yourself. And the next week they're probably selling. Oh, the bill worker is ah, a brilliant exactly, thing. Yeah. Don't like, you know, don't listen that it's a contraption. Yeah. So we'll move on to page seventeen here, and the showbiz stars pick their Wembley winners. So this this is something that I guess even comes out every now and then. Um, nowadays, it's it's about getting celebrities to to see what's going to happen in the game. So we've got Sasha Destel, Norman Wisdom, Ken Goodwin, and Des O'Connor. I mean, that's just, I can't imagine a night out of the art. A golden lineup, yeah. Mm. So Sasha Destel is a French singer, guitarist, and actor. You'll know him best that he had a hit with Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, and he was romantically involved with Bridget Bardot and Dion Warwick. That's. Romantically involved. Romantically involved. You know her poems, <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe no, maybe, maybe the, I don't want to get into details of that. So Sasha says, I look upon England as the soccer capital of the world. I'm taking Arsenal to win, and my main reason can be summed up by two words, Charlie George. For my money, this young man is one of the best strikers in Europe. Prediction, 1-0 to the Arsenal. So we move on then to Norman Wisdom, who's a comedian and actor, and for some reason he's particularly revered in Albania. Never been a huge. I've never, never really been a huge fan of Norman Wisdom. If I'm being honest, I probably sort of liked him when I was a wee boy, but then grow out of it pretty quickly. It's just a bit too a bit, childish. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so you know, people like Norman Wisdom. I've, I respect that. So Norman says, as Arsenal's staunchest supporter, it's not surprising that I'm going for the Gunners to lift the FA Cup. Leeds are a fine footballing side with one of the best defences in the business. But in recent seasons, they've faltered at the very last hurdle on a number of occasions. Arsenal, on the other hand, are the big occasion team. It'll be close, and I'm fully prepared to go for a replay. Prediction, Arsenal to win. So next on to Ken Goodwin. He's a comedian, and he's a big fan of George Formby. And much of his act involved in telling jokes, and surprise, surprise, playing the ukulele. Uh, he says, my fellow comedian Charles Williams comes from Yorkshire and he's threatened to bash me if I don't go for Don Revy's side. I think United have got everything it takes to win the cup. They are a great side, the best in Europe. Prediction, 3-1 win to Leeds United. So it's good to see the two comedians didn't go for a funny uh, kind of <laughs> report there, wasn't it? Just, uh, straight down the line. But, well, he starts off, Ken Goodman, by saying, settle down now, all you Arsenal supporters, and settle down now was his catchphrase. Oh, is it? Yeah, I missed that, I missed that. But you're right, but you know, it's like, like we'll get these comedians and they'll say something funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. we'll settle down and yeah, it'll be 3-1 to Leeds. Well, I think Arsenal will win. <laughs> <Right>, next. <laughs> Desert Corner, next one. So, comedian, singer and presenter. You can pick which one you think none of these are. <laughs> uh, he says, I love this, you won't catch me making a prediction. So what does he end up doing? He makes a prediction. He says, I'm, I'm one of Leeds United's greatest admirers, but being a Londoner, my heart will be with Arsenal. I recently dreamt that Arsenal would win the cup this year. Therefore, I'm, I'm saying that's an Arsenal prediction to win. Uh, so we move on to page 20. So they've given all their, their predictions. We move on to page 20. 
And we've got Ask the Expert. So this is where people send in questions and um, they get answers. So I'm just going to pick out one of these. If you, if you just want to pick out any other ones, then you know, feel free. I'm going to mention this uh, this advert for the Royal Navy as well. Yeah, well, you, <laughs> you will start with that then. When I was looking through the magazine earlier on, I, was, I thought it was like, are they selling speedboats in the in shoot <laughs> magazine? What's... But it's just basically the Royal Navy saying, we're great. Yeah. That's all it is. I don't know if it was in this one as well, but there was an army one as well. So there was army and Royal Navy, but yeah, it's like, yeah, come join us and yeah. see the light, you know, You've see the world awesome and things like that. So the Ask the Expert, the one I'm going to pick out is about Dennis Law. Um, so Nicky Kerwin of Hartlepool asks, when Dennis Law scored six goals in an FA Cup tie and the match was abandoned, who were the opposing team and what was the score in the rearranged game? So the answer was Luton Town were the opponents. So Man United were leading 6-2 when the weather forced the game to be abandoned and it was replayed a few game, few days later. Luton won 3-1. That's heartbreaking, isn't it? That's yeah. absolutely heartbreaking. Can you imagine that? And I don't think it was that long ago either when it was, well, you'd hope so, at 6-2, mm. you know, when it was abandoned. And I, I think Dennis Law scored the goal in the replay as well. So a little victory for Dennis in that one. I, I think I'd be complaining. I'd be like, surely... 6-2 is enough to say we've won the game. Yeah. No, heartbreaking. So did we look at any of the other ones? Did we move on from that? Anybody pick anything else out on that page? Uh, just uh, has a hat-trick ever been scored from penalties in a match? Uh, yes, it has, Martin. Including three penalty hat-tricks in the first division. The successful spot kickers were Billy Walker, Aston Villa v Bradford City on 21st November 1921, Charlie Mitten, Manchester United v Aston Villa on 8th March 1950 and Ken Barnes, Manchester City v Everton on 7th December 1957. There was, I cannot remember his name, Argentinian player who missed a hat-trick of penalties in the one game. Uh, you remember, remember yeah. him? I can't remember that. Imagine missing a hat-trick of penalties in the one uh, game. So Jim Fallon almost did it for Clay Bank. Uh, what, score or miss? Game. He, he scored two penalties and right. missed the third oh. for a, for a hat-trick of penalties. I'm so, di so disappointed with that. <laughs> so page 21. It's uh, keep your own record of the FA Cup final. So we've got a chart here that allows you to fill in the cup final teams, the players, half-time, full-time, extra-time scores, as well as the scorers. There's a section for updating with the results scorers if the game goes to a replay and should have included both the FA Cup and Scottish Cup trophies as well as a photo of both Wembley and Hamden. So it suggests that you can fill in for either the English FA Cup or Scottish Cup depending on which one you're more interested in. The magazine has the details filled in for the English FA Cup and gives away the eventual results. So it's actually filled in for the person who had this magazine before. So let's cut to the chase. Leeds beat Arsenal 1-0 with a goal from Alan Clark separating the teams in 50 minutes. So it turns out Ken Goodwin was the only one to get the result right. <laughs> uh, so well done, Ken. Well done, well done, Leeds United as well. well Obviously great. winning their first ever FA Cup from that. And... Norman Hunter getting his nickname as well. So, you know, it was a, it was worthwhile that. So about the game, it was the 6th of May 1972, 100,000 fans at Wembley, and Jones puts over a cross in the 50th minute for Clark to power a header past Garnet. So the, the Arsenal keeper apparently, I mean, I've seen it, couldn't do anything about the header. The game in general, you know, I don't, I don't think he could be blamed or anything for that. 
But just one of the things, I was, so Bob McNabb was booked for Arsenal in 48 seconds for a foul on Lorimer, becoming the fastest booking in FA Cup final history. But he wasn't even the first foul of the game. The first foul was on Clark, was Clark fouling ball after five seconds. Hunter was booked for a foul on ball. Bremner was then booked for arguing with the ref before Charlie George was also booked for talking back to the ref. Now, in these days, we've spoken this before, for any player to get booked was was a rarity. Mm-hmm. For four or five players to get booked, and two of them to get booked for dissent, is just, you know, that's... Practically unheard of. Certainly. Uh, so, at this point, what we're going to do is we'll take a wee break, and I'm going to ask you some questions. So in the magazines, there's usually a focus on or a profile on, and they just ask a famous footballer of the time some questions. It won't be too taxing. Okay, so you can choose to not answer. You can answer and then say, no, oh, can you edit that out and we'll yeah, do it. I mean, cool. but I don't want to worry about this. No, it's cool. I knew it was coming up to the <laughs> written answers. Nothing, nothing gets edited. When we say we'll edit it, nothing ever gets edited. Right, okay, so here we go. So full name... John William Young. Okay, birthplace. Vela Levin. First car? A Sear Edge Vauxhall Cavalier. Now, an interesting fact about this car was it was stolen on the 30th of June 1998. Can you remember what else happened on the 30th of June 1998? It's the World Cup final. It was in the final, no. Was it Scotland playing? No? Yeah. Some certain David Beckham was red-carded against Argentina. All right. For kicking Diego Simeone, yeah. all right? And I was watching that in the pub, mm-hmm. and I came out the pub, my car was gone. <laughs> somebody stole it while I was watching uh, David Beckham get Maybe it was somebody was, like, trying to do you a favour, like, coming out <laughs> the pub, say, nah, you're not driving, you're not driving. Mm-hmm. Did oh. you ever get it back? It was recovered, but yeah. I never got it. Was, uh, it was a wreck. It was yeah. written, written off. Aye, aye. Sorry about that. I, th- I thought we could have maybe put it out there. So if anyone had seen the car, <laughs> please get in contact. So a C. white. <laughs> <laughs> so football-wise, who's your favourite player? Um, I've got a, a couple of things here for, for this as well. My, my favourite player is Henrik Larsson. Mm-hmm. Um, just, not even just when he was at Celtic, but just the, the stuff that he's done in his career, he was an amazing player. But I've got a, a kind of honourable mention. Go for it. I was watching an old black and white game of uh, West Germany, I think, playing somebody. And it was one of those old games that you watch where everybody's kind of running it, double the speed and booting the ball and mm-hmm. running after it and yeah. clogging. And then this guy just absolutely glid across the pitch. Glid, is that a word? Glided. <laughs> Glided across the pitch and he was just like he looked like a modern player that had been superimposed in this video and it was Franz Beckenbauer yeah. and I was like that guy's amazing so uh, Franz Beckenbauer Franz Beckenbauer like, was that second name did you say that was a recent thing that you've seen that or was no that it was ago? a few years ago I've seen it but I'm not sure when the game was at, actually was but it was on YouTube the video was on YouTube it's fa- fascinating that the fact that you know you can rec- you know that is recognisable how good he was you know it's like you just see something and say, oh, I don't know who that is wow and you're drawn to it. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, any more players or that was just the, the two that kind of came to your mind. That's pretty. That's a pretty good, pretty good one. Your favourite football team? It is Celtic, mm-hmm. and mainly because when I was younger, the, the nearest school was a Catholic school, mm-hmm. and that was the school I went to. So my pal supported Celtic. I was really more into kind of Italian football when I was. We right. watched the because what was available on TV was Italian football. Yeah. And I kind of had a bit of a thing for Juventus. So Juventus, I had a Juventus strip. My mum wouldn't buy my Celtic strip in case I got beat up out in the street. <laughs> so I had a Juventus strip. But um, there wasn't many Torino fans. There wasn't. I was alright with that one. No. I was. Uh, was this the Gazetta Italian? Aye. I, I absolutely loved when that first came out. Aye, me as well. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a great deal 
on terrestrial TV about oh, football yeah, exactly. and when that came out and is it James Richardson isn't it yeah. I think it is I, I, yeah. I just love his style I love his style and, and he's a good presenter yeah and everything about it was great and I loved watching the, the games and I recorded them and I watched them over and over and over yeah. and some of Viali's goals uh, the Juventus team at the time was Viali Rabinelli mm. um, what's his name again the free kick Baggio no um, okay. I, 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 name is my head a second ago and it's gone never mind mm. Yeah, so back back then, I think I think I just went to university as well, and I just remembered commandeering the the, the common room, maybe as you call it, or the yeah. the main room, whatever, on a Sunday, and just watching. You know, I'd, I'd go down the front, get the, the Italia football on the TV, and I couldn't care about who uh, came in. Exactly. Wanted to watch the omnibus edition. Uh, you know, I was the same. I was guaranteed football every week. Um, Eastenders. Eastenders. That's uh, the one as well. <laughs> So, what's your most memorable football match? Um, thinking about it, I think it's probably the six-two uh, game against Rangers mm-hmm. for like for a number of reasons, not just the score. I mean, obviously, when Fernando Rickson was subbed mm-hmm. after twenty-two minutes, I think, because uh, Bobby Pitt just run ring him. Yeah, he was getting ripped one. Wasn't was it? amazing, mm-hmm. and then uh, Ferguson got a red card. That was always funny, <laughs> and then Chris Sutton scored on his uh, old firm debut, mm-hmm. which was uh, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, that, that one's that one's been mentioned before. Yeah, as a that's, yeah. I think yeah. my my second, I got a second one for that as well. Yeah. Was when we beat um, Ajax three one in the Amsterdam Arena. That was again when Chris Sutton again was flying header for the third goal. That's mm. a, a close second. Okay. So what's what's been your biggest thrill in your life? It doesn't have to be football related, but see, I've been kind of thinking, and I, I decided to think of something football related. So my mm. my daughter um, started getting into football when she was about seven or eight. I think it was more of a case of why did the boys get to do that? Why can't I do that as well? Mm. So she goes, so she's no interest anymore. She completely yeah. lost interest. But she was really in it for about two or three years. And then, so my biggest thrill was seeing her being the mascot for Partick Thistle. Right. She came out the start of the game and she had like a great day. Yeah. She had a brilliant day. She loved it. She got to toss the coin and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so that's my biggest thrill. Excellent. I'm sure hers as well. I yeah. loved it. So, what's been your biggest disappointment? Uh, I've got a couple of things for this one as well. Um, I think probably the UEFA Cup final. Mm-hmm. And on that one, me and my sister watched every game apart from the final. And I was like, it's your fault we lost. <laughs> <laughs> she was away on holiday. Because uh, um, I felt that the Celtic could have won that game. Mm. And there was a bit, of, a bit of cheating, a bit of diving going on from Porto. And that was yeah. um, Mourinho, Mourinho as well. Yeah. Yeah. But then Porto went on to win the Champions League next yeah, season as well, didn't they? Yeah, I remember that as well. Because See, I, I lived down in Yorkshire and I was living in Bradford at the time and I'd just bought a new TV, uh, a big, one of these rear screen projection mm. things and I was getting it delivered but it wasn't going to be there in time for the final. So I'm, I'm sitting in the house, don't have a TV. So I then I go to the pub just at the end of the street, which I, I don't normally do. I don't normally go to the pub to watch football like that. Uh, but... Yeah, so I, I watched it in there and got pretty drunk and there was a few Celtic fans around and not, not too happy about the result. Right. But yeah, I completely understand why it's why it's a, a disappointment. The other thing that I was thinking as well, this is more of a kind of disappointment in myself, Yeah, is uh, when John Barnes was a Celtic manager, mm-hmm. I was so... in. I'm trying to think back to my mind back then. I think I was so incensed that he was picking the wrong team every week. Yeah. That I wrote him a letter. <laughs> um, saying he should be picking this team, he should be picking that team. And he wrote back. Right. Oh. And I've still got the letter in the house somewhere. And it, when the reply came back, I was like, 
why did you write that letter? You're an absolute idiot. Why did you do that? Was it was so it quite a negative? It was. I was saying you should be picking this player and you should just playing him out of position. And why are you not picking Jackie McNamara every week? And but, but that, that doesn't. I mean, that doesn't sound. I wasn't like, abusive. I wasn't abusive. Like no, that. I was just saying I think you should be doing this. And the letter I got back was lovely. Yeah. And it, I felt so guilty. But, but yeah, maybe that's what you. Maybe, maybe he's taking it that way. He said, "Listen, appreciate your thoughts yeah. and stuff." But the fact that he's taking the effort that I mean, yeah, that's exactly. fantastic. And I know. You wouldn't get that much. I'm sure. I'm sure some managers would probably still do it. A bit. Yeah, I think if you wrote to one of the bigger teams these days, there's a chance the manager wouldn't even get to see it. Yeah. Wouldn't even get you, to their you desk. You get a photograph with a, a signature on. Thanks it. for your interest. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the best country you've visited? I've not visited that many countries. I've been to Spain, Turkey, should be, should be an and Greece. Choice, eh? <laughs> I've been to Spain, Turkey, and Greece. That's it. I think Spain was probably my favourite out of three of them. What's what's what, what's your f- favourite thing about it? Uh, do you like is it, do you like the heat? The I'm not better. actually not that mad about the heat. I, sorry, I like it to be warm, but I think the thing about the Spain was it was just easy. It was integrated in straight away mm. with Spain because they're so used to having tourists yeah. and everything's. The places we went in Turkey and Greece were kind of a bit more out of the way, so there's a wee bit more of a language barrier and stuff. But with yeah. Spain, it's just they're so used to people coming across and it's an easy holiday. Yeah, I mean, but about that, I mean, sometimes I feel a bit, I feel a bit embarrassed about. The Aye. fact, you know, the, the effort they put in. And, and it's like we just go over and ex- expect it and for the whole that well, we just talk English Aye. and, you know, we expect it. So I, I, I do feel embarrassed. I, not embarrassed enough to learn the language, <laughs> you know, but... I know what you're saying. Yeah. What you're okay, saying. so what's your favourite food? So is this the point when I did the kind of footballer's answer it. of a steak and chips? And, but is it true? No. Oh. <laughs> I, would get, I would pick a roast dinner. I like a roast dinner, roast chicken. Roast potatoes, parsnips, carrots, gravy, and that sort of thing. Okay. That's my favourite. Yorkshire puddings? Yorkshire puddings, love them. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Favourite TV show? Um, I think probably the best TV show I've seen over the last wee while is probably Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. From start to finish, I thought that was really, really excellent. Have you seen the... Is it a new movie or something of it? Or is it Aye, El Torino. Or or Grand El Camino. El Camino. Yeah. Aye, I didn't think it really tied in that much. Have you seen it, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I thought the film itself was pretty decent, but it was like... Seems kind of a bit unnecessary. Mm. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh, it was absolutely for your hardcore fans. Aye, aye. Only, I think. Aye. Better Call Saul's good, though. That's oh, a that's good spin off. Mm, mm. Have you seen that? I've. Yes, and no. I, I, I've started watching it twice, loving it, mm-hmm. but I don't know. The problem is, a lot of the times I watch TV shows is when I'm going to sleep. Aye, you of And so I'll put it on the, the sleep timer thing. And. It's like I've no idea where it finished, <laughs> so I end up either watching just the next again. one or watching the whole show again. So maybe I need to do something about that. So we say Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, excellent. Favorite singers? There's a, a band I'm really into just now called Rival Sons. They're from um, California, I think, a rock band. Went to see them at the bars last year, and the guy that sings for them is just amazing. Mm. He's like a proper rock front man. He wears like outlandish clothes. And yeah. Uh, yeah, he's good. Right. Rival Sands. I'll give them a wee shout. Yeah, really Favourite actors? See, I, I struggle Brogan, with this one. I struggle to think. Uh, uh, Tom Brogan's my favourite everything. Hero. Aye. Uh, <laughs> right, guys. That was, that was one of your lines, wasn't it? That was a good impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I struggle to think of like, a favourite actor, but I'm th- I was thinking more on the lines of if I saw this guy in a film, would I be more likely to watch the film? Yeah. And that would probably be like Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. I, I think every film he's been in has been pretty decent, so yeah, I'll go for him. So does that mean? It, and I, I apologise if I get Marvel. 
Or Marvel, DC. he's in the Marvel he's movies, aye. Right. Uh, Marvel or DC and all the <laughs> right one there. Yeah. So, so you you like that sort of stuff? Aye, and aye. I, I don't say that in a demeaning that I've sort never, of stuff. I've never been a big comic book guy. I'd never really got the fact that you, you, would, you would buy a comic, one comic, and it would be, if you were to compare it to a novel, it's like two paragraphs worth I've of the story. I've never been a comic guy either. And then you go to the next one. He's one of the chemist comics, don't Yeah. Or so some, never, people, some people call them comics. Oh, really? Like, like That's a, a magazine, isn't it? Roy the Rovers comic. Tiger comic, yeah, mm-hmm. all that. These are magazines. That's definitely a magazine, yeah. So, mm-hmm. But um, I bet the, the movies, I think the Marvel movies are all, almost all pretty decent films, mm-hmm. pretty good films. But they seem right. to just... Well, I don't get. It. They just seem to churn them out. There just seems to be loads of them, and then they just mix them all together and things. And so that this one's been successful, and so is this one. So let's put them together. Aye. And it just seems to me a lot of it. There has been I a guess, lot of it in the past few years for sure. And I, but that was like, was it Kevin Feige's the the guy who's in charge of things? You're looking blankly at me. <laughs> Some guy right at the back at the start when the first Iron Man film came out, he had this kind of plan of all these movies that were going to eventually cross over and tie together, right. which finished with that last Avengers movie. So that was all planned for those movies to come out, but there was, I mean, there was a lot of them. There was mm. a proper saturated in the market for that. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, for the things like that, if the demand's there, they'll, right. they'll do that. But as you say, if you oversaturate it, then it gets ruined a bit. So right. back to this best friend. I'd have to pick my wife. Okay. Biggest influence? For that one, I would say probably my big sister. Growing up, she was one who kind of guided me through life and mm-hmm. told me about this kind of music and that kind of film and this kind of stuff. So yeah, how, how much older is she? Three years, just three, three years. years I. That's, that's a good age. I mean, that's. I mean, I've got three brothers and a sister. Brother younger, two years, and then Paul, I think, three years. So it, it's a good It's, it's a, a good, good gap, age, yeah. 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 Uh, Which person in the world would you most like to meet? See, I, this is one that I really struggle with. I yeah. really kind of think anybody... I would like to meet somebody who... Had a good story to tell. Mm-hmm. Somebody who I wouldn't even like to meet somebody just for the sake of them being that celebrity or that pe- person in the public eye, but somebody who would be able to you'd be able to sit down and have a good talk and yeah. they would be able to tell you all these anecdotes. But somebody like that could be anybody. I, I really can't pick a, a uh. specific person. <laughs> all right. That's the first time nobody's answered the question. Mm-hmm. We'll edit that out, <laughs> <laughs> which we won't. Okay, so thank you. But that'll that'll end up being a feature on mm-hmm. the website. So uh, we said at the start, uh, John, that you've been working as a film extra. Yes. Can you tell us a wee bit about that. Aye. When I've, my son was, um, how old is he now? 14. From the age of about eight to about 11, he was really into acting. He was doing it at school and he really got the bug for it. So he joined a few kind of these dramatic society, uh, amateur kind of acting things. And he got really into it. And then when he kind of hit puberty and discovered Xbox, he kind of slowly fell away from it and then eventually just stopped doing it all together. I said to him, well, that's my nest egg for the future. You're supposed to be <laughs> buying me a mansion. He went, you do it. I thought, right, and I will. And then just a couple of weeks later, my wife saw a thing on Facebook that said they were looking for men with beards. It was an open casting for men with beards. So I just went along and it was that Outlaw King, the one about Robert the Bruce. Yeah. And there was, I think it was 200 extras in it. So I worked on that for four weeks. As an, I was an English soldier. My granny stopped talking to me. <laughs> Uh, I was an English soldier for two, three and a half of those weeks, and I was a Scottish soldier, Scottish soldier, for like two days, and then the most amount of time I'm on screen is dressed as a Scottish soldier. So it was like three weeks just of hard slog, and I'm on screen for like half a second. But it was it was good. It was good fun. Early early starts and late finishes. Yeah, but you get herded herded about and oh, exactly. About yeah, to told to go over here and stand there. Just stand there in the freezing cold for four hours, and then right, you're in for two minutes. Right back to the freezing cold for four hours. 
So what, have, have you had a particularly good experience on any of them? Something stands out for you? The thing that kind of stands out, well, as a, I, don't, I don't want to say too much in case anybody says, well, we're not going to hire you again. But as an extra, you're just, you're, you are just background and yeah. they use you like a prop. You don't really get taken care of yeah. that well. But I was doing an advert for Ladbrokes and um, we were looking at the um, the storyboard for the advert and it's uh, Brian Blessed. And we're like, oh, Brian Blessed, cool, I wonder if he'll be here. But then we're looking at it and the way they'd set it up, it was to make him look like he was like a proper giant. Yeah. Mm. And as he's playing golf and as he swings his golf club, he, he hits the cart, the golf cart, rather than the ball and sends the golf cart doing the thing. So we're like, oh, they'll just CGI that in later. There's nobody who's going to be here for the shooting. So then we're just kind of sitting a bit waiting. And then we hear this voice going, Your food is fucking marvellous! <laughs> Brian Blessed talking to the lassie in the catering truck. Right, oh, he's actually here. And he said the Gordon's alive about 20 times and mm. just been in, in the same... You could feel the energy coming off him. You know, yeah. was that kind of guy. That was, that was amazing. Um, on um, Outlaw King, it was Chris Pine and Aaron Taylor-Johnson, the two big names in it. And one day we were doing a thing and they're like, that's us breaking for lunch. So we're heading back and... Um, the two of them were talking to each other in Cockney accents, and I'm walking past like, "What's going on here?" So it was kind of weird stuff like that. Some good, some good things. All right, good. Excellent. Okay, back into the magazine we go. Try to get closer to the Scottish. Yeah, let me get about the Scottish Cup final. Let me know about the the English Cup final. Shooting around short stories, which does involve Joe Harper as well. So, so Golden Boots Harper. So it says top scorer in Scotland is Aberdeen's Joe Harper with around 48 to his credit. Now leading contender for the Golden Boots Award which is presented by a French magazine to Europe's top marksman. His nearest challengers up to the end of April are Gerd Muller of Bayern Munich and Francis Lee of Man City. So Harper scored a total of 45 goals that season, 33 of which were in the league. I've looked at it and Gerd Muller won the award in 1972 with 40 goals. So you think, well, how can that be the case? Joe Harper's got 40 at this point, end of April, and Gerd Muller's got 40, so why did he win it? Well, apparently I think they only take into consideration the league goals. So, for example, Alan McCoyce won it in 91-92 with 34 goals on both occasions. And in... McCoy scored 39 goals in total for 1991-92. So I think that may explain why Joe didn't win it. So I think the magazine have taken his other goals into consideration. When Is it the, not weighted? I don't think it was weighted back then. I think I think after after Alan McCoy's won it for a couple of years, I think they started weighting it. Okay. Um, but back then it wasn't. I remember there was a season where somebody, I think it might have been Henrik Larsson, maybe, mm. should have won it because he scored the most amount of goals, but because yeah, because of the system, he missed it on it. Yeah. So, measured tactics by David White, or not by David White, about David White of Dundee. So, the first thing that Dundee manager David White did when he took over at the club several months back was to compile a detailed check on the dimensions of the Dens Park pitch. In future, Dundee's tactics will be made to measure as the space required by each player will be carefully worked out to the last inch. David went on to lead Dundee to a League Cup victory in 73-74 against Celtic at Hamden with a goal from Gordon Wallace. So he's won the League uh, the league Cup with Dundee a couple of the season later. So I think, you know, if he's putting that sort of effort into, you know, looking at the dimensions of the pitch, 
it's obviously brought a bit of fruition at the end there. I wonder if that's the kind of thing that they thought about back then was the kind of other factors rather than just the players. Mm. Well, uh, interestingly, when we spoke about Jock Steen when he moved to Celtic, he would. It's like Celtic players before that point hadn't ever been told about tactics. I, mm-hmm. I don't believe in. And Jock Steen gave them all a ball and things like that. And it's like it's it's, it's you know strange to think that that would happen at a club like that. So there would have been times where these sort of things just weren't thought about and somebody comes in, oh, he's got this strange idea, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. Just uh, There's a wee story about, um, which I love about Ali, Ali McLeod. Um, I think he was at Air United at the time and they, they were trying to train in the dark. And, um, and what he did was he, he painted the footballs with a luminous paint. Right. And you just think, well, there's no fluorescent balls and stuff like that. So, <laughs> you know, it's like situations, I guess, and just um, things developing over time leads to these, you know. Uh-huh, lights. Of course I, I mean, soon as came in um, and reduced the, the width of the pitch at That's Ibrox right, yeah. for a European tie. Yep. And do you know what? I don't have a problem. with. Te- I don't have a problem if teams do it on a game-by-game basis. If they want to get... You know, the be- as long as it's within the dimensions, of the pe- what, what's the problem? They're using every single, you know, lawful in the game tactic to try and win. I don't, I don't have a problem with no, that. I if, if you want to come in, I mean, <laughs> it actually comes back to one of my, my stupid ideas. I say it's stupid, but I, I think it could be done, especially with artificial pitches. I think if you could have a, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, it is stupid. <laughs> um, so as part of the pitch, you would have a a fibre optic system throughout the whole pitch, mm-hmm. right? So you could automatic automatically set whatever dimensions you want, and it would light up. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Aye, aye. And you could have, you know, you could have all sorts. You could change it so it would go to, you know, five a sides or seven a sides across the pitch. So the actual white marks yeah, on the pitch would be everything. provided by lights underneath the pitch yeah. rather than being painted on. I'm sure it could be done. I'm sure it could be done as well. Yeah. And it's it's my idea, everybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think every second podcast I come up with an idea which I want my name associated with. Uh, so Just to mention there as well that uh, the Dundee coach at the time was Harold Davis. Mm-hmm. And then Harold Davis was it was a guy who was uh, severely injured in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he was shot uh, in the Korean War and was told he would never play professional football again. But he went on to uh, play for Rangers. Uh, and, and basically he forced himself to get fit he knew he had to train twice as hard as everybody else to go yeah. over these these uh, war injuries and he only died a couple couple of years ago but he was, he was a guy who was a genuine a genuine uh, war hero mm. and actually went on to play professional football despite sustaining serious injuries yeah I think I think things like that are absolutely you know for somebody to come back from these sort of you know in any sort of injuries that are serious and then get back to the top level of you know, maybe not as good as they were before. Well, it was actually he played with East Fife, mm. and he only signed for Rangers after he came right. back for the okay. Bournemouth with the Black Watch, yeah. and uh, actually only played with Rangers after he'd been shot in the abdomen. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's it reminds me of, there was a I think Forrest Mechanics keeper, and I love this as well. He, he had one wooden leg. And he, and he, pl- he played for Forest Mechanics with one wooden leg, and there's there's a story about him during the game. It snapped, and what he's done, he's got some bits of card and stuff, and nailed it together <laughs> during the game. And it's like, <laughs> go for it. I, I, I love stories like that. 
So, Peter Cormack of Nottingham Forest says, don't be surprised if Nottingham Forest star Peter Cormack moves on during the summer. Since his transfer from Hibs, Cormack hasn't really settled down with Forest and he feels that a change of club would be better for all concerned. So he actually moved a month later to Liverpool, where he spent the next four years making 125 league appearances and scoring 21 goals. And in that time, he won the First Division twice, UEFA Cup twice, the FA Cup and the Charity Shield. So I think it's safe to say that was a good move for Peter Cormack. I wonder what his problem is with Forrest. Uh, just maybe, just, you know, you don't settle it. You know, it could well be that somebody's unsettled him. Mm-hmm. So there's always that sort of stuff going on where, you know, an agent or even a manager right, will tap right. somebody up. It's, you know, it, there's no doubt it, it goes on today as well but I think it's, it's a bit sneaky whereas back then they probably didn't think it had to be that sneaky because yeah. there wasn't always people about with phones and stuff like that so at, after Liverpool he moved to Bristol City where he won the Anglo-Scottish Cup in 1978 so he's, he's done well for himself as Peter yeah. uh, page 30 this is where it was going before um, you ask a player answer so we're back to Joe Harper here and this week top Scottish and goal scorer Joe Harper of Aberdeen replies to your letters so I've picked a few out again here we've got Graham McGregor of Maastricht so that was Aust- Maastricht's in Germany Austria mm. yeah Austria I think Belgium Belgium it just came to me there Belgium <laughs> yeah yeah. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking I, I got there LinkedIn yeah. flash of inspiration so if, a, if an English club made a suitable offer would you be prepared to leave Aberdeen so Joe answers this, yes, on three conditions. One, it was a first division club. Two, the terms were right. And three, if Aberdeen were prepared to let me go. Fair enough. Joe then talks about his time at Huddersfield. So he was at Huddersfield before he came back up. And he was there as an 18-year-old boy. And he says, it wasn't a happy experience. I became homesick quickly. I moved digs about five times and was sent off twice. So he didn't have a very good first experience down in England. He obviously came back to Aberdeen and moved to Everton. Um, so he did get back down there. So the next question is from... Sorry, just to jump in. Maastricht's actually in Aberdeen. Oh, as well as... Different Belgium. spelling, I different think. Spelling. Different spelling. Well, Diane can't see the spelling here. M-A-S-T-R-I-C-K. Yeah, that, that was... That was fed into my ear. That's why I got it wrong. I mean, Aberdeen is where I was going next. <laughs> well, that's that's the explanation, because you kind of see how it was spelled, but uh, it's actually in Aberdeen. Yeah, I, th- I threw that one ev- they throw everybody. Yeah, it's good to see that you are on your toes. You know that Aberdeen legal document, the Maastricht Treaty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So t- Tommy McLennan of West Linton, Aberdeen. Um, I don't know if it's in Aberdeen. So, <laughs> how has the recent change of manager at Aberdeen affected the club? He asked Joe. Joe says Eddie Turnbull is a completely different person to Jimmy Bonthrone. The club hasn't suffered by the change, so. He's he's not going to say much else, um, you know. No, he would never do. Yeah, I mean, he could he could say positive things about them, but I think he's just sort of erring here, and say the caution and just saying, nah, listen, they're different, but everything's still good. So next question is from Derek Bruce. Now, if you can find out where this place is, I'll love you forever because it says Derek Bruce Drive. I think that may be a typo. I think it's oh, supposed no, to no, be no. Derek. Let's, let's, let's get Bruce Tom on Drive. This. <laughs> let's get Tom on this. Where's Drive, Tom? 
You try Google and Drive like I did and the amount of searches that come up and the answers that come up. He's from Bruce Drive in Aberdeen. <laughs> Derek. Oh, they've just put the comma in the wrong exactly. place. Exactly. Sorry, okay. So the question is from Derek from Bruce Drive. <laughs> uh, so he says, how do you rate your teammate Willie Young? And Joe says, Willie is still a young player. <laughs> no pun intended, he says. <laughs> Which obviously is intended. I've never heard that one myself. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I did that just really slow <laughs> for me there. And obviously has a lot to learn, but he will be a first-rate centre-half. Uh, next question is from Douglas Cowie. This one is from Aberdeen. And he says, who do you think is the best all-round player in the Aberdeen side? And Joe says, definitely Arthur Graham. He can play as an orthodox left winger or in midfield. He's a strong runner, an excellent crosser of the ball. So no, no qualms about answering that one. Gary Fraser from Dundee asks, who do you rate as the best defender you've played against this season? So Joe answers this one as George Anderson of Morton. He says he's given me a tough time. He's only 19 and looks set for a promising career. So George was born in Port Glasgow and he played from Morton from 1969 to 1981 and he made a total of 261 league appearances. He was a central defender. He then moved to Airdrie played 104 times between 81 and 85 and he finished his career again back at Morton between 85 and 87. He's got one under 23 cap for Scotland and he made 371 appearances in total and his eighth in the all-time appearances list for Morton and he was included in the Hall of Fame in 2017. He was also selected by Tommy Doherty for a South American tour with the senior squad prior to the 74 World Cup although he got no game time. So, he's, you know, he's, he's stayed with Morton for most of that. Uh, Joe Harper rates him as a defender, and I'm sure Morton fans probably do as well, the fact that he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and well done, George Anderson. Right. So we move to page 31. This is Shoot as a Line. This is a letters page. So I've got Veronica and Carol from Woodbridge in Suffolk and they're asking Shoot to print the address of the official Jimmy Robertson fan club that they run which Shoot are more than happy to do and also they provide a photo of Jimmy for his adoring fans Well seen this isn't the time before Google now Yeah it's amazing. I mean again we've touched on this before but these were the places you got things answered right. you know if you had the questions with your mates and you couldn't resolve it you would write into this or ask Sam and mm -hmm. things like that and you would wait and showbiz Sam showbiz Sam if you were lucky enough to yeah. be printed in the magazine you'd yeah. find out yeah and they'd be like oh I forgot about that and then you, you get everybody together and say remember that time you said it was this well here well, we go here it's written down yeah. so Michael Hiscock from Nottingham uh, has the a serious one here he writes to tell shoot of a double fracture he received in a game a year ago saying it could easily have been prevented by wearing shin guards never again will I play without the necessary protection I can't understand why so many professional players refuse to do likewise my advice is start wearing the new lightweight pads now before you have to learn the hard way so that's a lesson for you professional footballers out there from Michael Hiscock I mean would it shin guards really I don't know. Would they have stopped a double fracture if... Who knows? Who knows? I bet you if he was wearing them and he got a double fracture, he'd say, don't wear these shin guards. <laughs> they, 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 they probably lead they to this sort worse. of thing. Yeah, It's like, so it reminds me of these 
we're talking about white boots. Um, yeah. There was the what were they? Tough spin. The tough spin boots were the in the bottom of the boot. Oh, was the actually, blades and the whole thing yeah, spun around. Spun around. Just think, who, who ever thought that was a good Ankle idea? Breakers. You know, and they were saying, "Oh, this will help your games." No, when's your game? Right. When's your career? Probably. <laughs> uh, so, jump along a couple to pages thirty-eight and thirty-nine. So we finally get to the Scottish FA Cup. So, if, if there's anything we want to talk about, like, because I know Tom's a big fan of Nob. No, I don't know if I should say it. Just finish this sentence. Tom's a big fan of Nobby. Aren't you, Tom? I was going to say, you know, when he passed comment on how unfunny you think the comic is. Oh, he does it. He does it every week. I know. No, I, 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 I just think the cartoonists should get a bit more credit than you give them, Andy. That's so. all. <laughs> oh, all right. With that particular one or general? Just in general. Okay. Sorry, cartoonists out there, but I, I just don't find Nobby funny. I'm sorry, but I, 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 the the actual artistry of it all is top. So pages 38 and 39, we get to the <laughs> right. Scottish Cup okay. final, which this year was between Celtic and Hibernian. Oh, I thought you were taking <laughs> over there. <laughs> just queuing you up. <laughs> okay, so in normal league matches, Celtic and their Edinburgh rivals produce fiery football to satisfy every real soccer fan. So this is how Shoot are building this up. But when they clash in the cup, there is just no comparison. For believe it or not, it's even more action-packed. So Hibs, whoever's again, whoever's getting involved with some of the the statements in this is you know obviously trying out for a, a bigger gig. Hibs, the gallant and bold Cavaliers from Edinburgh, proved their threat by knocking Rangers out in the semi after a replay. Even some Rangers fans admitted that Hibs deserved to go through after the first match. In the league matches so far this season, Celtic have won one 0 at Easter Road and two one at Parkhead. Uh, Pat Stanton. Uh, Hibs skipper he's confident that he'll win his first ever major medal just reading that and saying that is incredible considering you know it's Pat Stanton the Hibs player is one of the most dedicated skippers in the game and the rest of his teammates are determined to make sure he gets some recognition for his stalwart performances over the years he admits he was shattered when Hibs lost 6-2 to Celtic in the League Cup in 1969 so Pat says Celtic really turned it on that day it won't happen again I can assure you. Obviously, we will. <laughs> yeah, that's a spoiler. <laughs> uh, obviously, we will treat Celtic with all respect, but then I think they will just be as respectful to us. Celtic are a great side, but even they can't win every match. So at this point, Celtic have won seven consecutive titles. Shoot says they still haven't managed to win the Scottish Cup twice in a row since Jockstein took over. Bloody idiots! <laughs> I mean, it just shows you the the level of you know scrutiny on it. Oh, they've not won the Scottish, row twi- the Scottish Cup no. twice in a row. That's just incredible. That'll be good enough. Yeah. So Celtic are out to make up for their previous visit to Hamden that season when they were thumped. And for the Thistle fans out there, you'll love this one. When they were thumped 4-1 in the League Cup by Partick Thistle. Incredible. Um, so who's going to win? Celtic are the form team and should end a superb domestic campaign by lifting the trophy for the 21st time. And how did it end? Unfortunately for Hibs, not well. Remember that 6-2 that Pat Stanton said would never happen again? Mm-hmm. Well, he was right. Um, it was worse because they got beat 6-1 this time. Uh, it was goals from Dixie Deans, a hat-trick, Lou McCarry 2 and Billy McNeil with an Alan Gordon goal for Hibs in front of 106,102 fans. Now, Dixie Deans also scored a hat-trick in the 1969 Cup victory of the 6-2. 
and become the only player in history to score a hat-trick in both Scottish Cup and League Cup finals. And I'd like to thank the Celtic Wiki for that piece of information. Mm. And Pat Stanton eventually did win the Scottish Cup, yep. but with Celtic. So Pat Stanton he assisted Alex Ferguson at Aberdeen for a bit as well. And he was a great, great nephew of Michael Well Wellehan. Pronunciation, we'll go with that, who was a founder at Hibs and Hibs first ever captain. And he was a great nephew of Hibs centre forward James Hendren as well. He captained Scotland on three occasions and he had sixteen caps in total for Scotland. Uh, he, he skippered the team to victory over Celtic in the Scottish League Cup the following season with the 1-2-1 from Stanton who scored one in O'Rourke before Douglas pulled one back so they actually they did win <coughs> the, the League Cup the next season with Hibs as well So I remember um, being in the, the Cabbage the Cabbage and Ribs pub in Edinburgh after a Hibs Claybank Scottish Cup game mm. and Pat Stanton coming in standing at the end of the bar Like Royalty like, exa Exactly Mm. He's over overcoat on, just lounging in the bar. <laughs> it's Pat Stanton. Yeah. That's that's fair enough though, it's Pat Stanton. Yeah. yeah. But again, just that way, the sort of club legend he's coming out in the local the local pub kind mm. of thing, full of Hibs just fans. Just in the ambience. Having a mm. having a pint after the game. So I mean he he managed Tibbs for a couple I, I don't really know about his record management yeah. wise. Cowden Beath the Fairland for a couple of years and then Hibs for a couple of years and I don't really remember him making much an impact as a manager. No, well, I mean, that's where I remember him from yeah, yeah. As, as being the man, the manager of right. of, uh, of Hibs. But yeah, I, I couldn't. I don't think they won much mm. in that era. But I think they were Premier League yeah. at that time. Mm. They were solidly a Premier League team. Yeah, through the eighties. So page forty. So we've you know we've talked about Celtic winning the cup here, but. Should have a little throwback here, so it's a great game's great moments, and the Dons dump the Celts. So they take a look back with photos from the 1970 Scottish Cup final where Aberdeen beat Celtic 3 1 at Hamden in front of 108,000 fans. A Joe Harper and Derek Mackay double were enough to see off Celtic with Bobby Lennox getting their goal. So Aberdeen were leading 1 0 when Mackay scored with seven minutes remaining, only for Lennox to get one back a minute from time. But rather than lead to a nervy finish, Mackay scored another about a minute later or so to ease the Dons to victory. So the photos on the page shows each of the Aberdeen goals as well as both goal scorers celebrating with the trophy afterwards. Now, Mackay himself only played 15 games for Aberdeen, but cup, he's best remembered cup for... Time, for cup time, Mackay. Cup time, Mackay, yeah. So he's remembered for this run, scoring the winning goals in the quarterfinals, the semi-finals, and a double in the final, which ultimately won the game. But he left just three matches later after row over bonuses about the cup final. It's, uh, it's uh, amazing, really. Me, you think that the guy who d didn't play that many senior games, but obviously had that big impact. Impact like mm. that won the Scottish Cup and, like you say, quarter final, semi final. Scored two goals in the cup final. Sort of cemented his place in history, mm -hmm. and ultimately through his whole career, played what forty league games or something. Yeah, I would. It's it would be interesting to. I don't know how you would really market but to, to find out who, who made the most impact with the, the least the amount least, of games yeah that, that would be somebody out there not not one of us I don't have any time to do that but I'd <laughs> like to see the answers to that that'd be absolutely brilliant he, but fortunately he died age 59 he was on the holiday in Thailand and had a heart attack so I mean 59 is, is nothing really these days so he's 
as you say, what an impact he's made. Um, and it was one of these football and flames that burned burn brightly and then dwindled out a bit. So just jumping to page 42, we're on You Are The Ref. So I want to... There's just a couple of the things in the You Are... I mean, I think there is only three of them, but... Number two says the ball hits... So this, the You Are The Ref is illustrations of, um, you know, situations in football and it asks questions, what would you do if you were the referee or has the referee made the right decision? And then it gives you the answers at the bottom. So... It says the ball hits the ref and goes in. So there's a guy, I think they're taking a penalty. So a guy takes a penalty, hits the referee. That's how bad the penalty it was. And then it goes in and said, should it be a goal? So what would we say? I would say yes. Yeah. It wouldn't nowadays. It wouldn't now because it changed In fact, that rule. this season. Well, it changed that rule recently. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it used to be the referees in, in play. Uh-huh. So the hits off the ref. Then fine, but now they've changed that. Mm. So if the, ball, if the ball hits the ref now, the ball's gone dead. Yeah, just it, in it, penalties though. No, no, no just the game. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's been in quite a. Was it, is it not if if it changes possession, if it hits the referee and changes possession? I'm sure I've seen a game recently where the ball hit the ref and he just carried on. I don't know. I don't, we can ask. I I think it's that if if the if the the, 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 the it goes to the different the opposing team. If it hits the, if well, in, so in this case, you're saying that it would stand the goal still. In this, it did yeah. then, but then, yeah, then it did. But you're saying maybe now because because the keeper's not got the possession. Yeah. Now well, we can look at look at the law. Yeah, that's 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 a loophole. Change. That's a loophole. People are just going to try and hit the ball for referee from there yeah, on rather than score directly. Yeah. So the, the number three, it says, must be a really badly hit penalty. <laughs> 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 Yeah, so number three is another penalty. The ball hits the post, then the referee, and then it goes back to the kicker, and he scores. So the rule here says another player needs to touch it. Yeah, but the rule yeah. here says it should be a corner. No, no goal, and then a free kick. <laughs> really? Have I read the right? So rule this here says a, you decide to award a free kick against him, and after disallowing the goal. But well, but what's the? It's turn it upside down. The actual. And then that, that's what he's saying. He, he's given the action taken is correct. The penalty taker has played the ball twice before a second player has touched it. Oh, I've messed that one up, man. <laughs> play on, play on. I'm just doing my Les Mortram here and no, pretending the incident never happened. There's no mention of corner anywhere. <laughs> <sighs> Okay, that's 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 as good a as good a point as any. It's okay, right? I've, yeah, I, I'm never going to make it as a referee. I get that, um, or even as somebody who reviews refereeing decisions. So see, in a penalty and open and not during a game, not in a penalty shootout, but a penalty during a game. If you take a penalty and it hits the crossbar mm-hmm. and comes back out again, can you not then shoot because no. another player's not touched it? Yeah. Yeah. It's only if it hits the goalkeeper and comes back. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying yeah, but I'd, I'd know nothing. <laughs> Yeah. No, another player needs to touch no, it, so you can't. You can't hit a rebound. I, I, we we touched on about this. When does a ball become active? And I don't know if we touched on about something else that I thought about afterwards, or I don't know if I thought about it at the time. But you know, players can just go up to a corner and touch a ball. It doesn't even have to move, and then it's in play. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, could a player who put the ball down, and as he puts it down, he just sort of puts his foot in it and then walks back, and then somebody else runs in. I think that could be done, eh? as long as the other person's not 
There's another. I've got two in the one show. Two great ideas in the one show. There is there is that one with the the penalty taker puts the ball to the side and somebody else hits it. Yeah. Which we've seen but, being but, done. If you, but if you don't do it, good right, or bad, it's all right. Yeah. But I've not seen one where they just put their foot on it and walk away. If it starts appearing, all seen it I'm done saying. in free kicks, but not in penalties. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know why you would do it other than being cocky. I mean, but yeah. if listen, if you're out there and you're in a situation, you're three 0 up, four 0 up, you get a penalty, give it a wee try, place it on the spot, just put your your foot on it as if to say, I'm stopping it. Have a word with the referee first, let them know what you're doing. Because the thing with the, the corner, so Manchester United done that a, f- a few years back, where they pretend, effectively, but I think the guy taking it said to the linesman that's been taken, you sort of just move the ball forward and then another player comes in and dribbles it up. Mm. And, and in this game, whenever it was, 29 or 2009 or something like that, and it, it, was, dis- it was disallowed because mm. there was... A, the referee Mass just sort of said no you're not allowed yeah exactly it was confusing and I remember Ferguson saying Celtic had done it yeah. he's seen Celtic do it in the 60s Jock Steen's Celtic had done it and he'd sort of noted so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that with one of my teams and, uh, and they tried it with Manchester United and I think they'd they, they, they done it successfully but the ref said no yeah. and, and, it's, and a few teams have, have done it since mm. uh, have done that kind of sneakily but I think you kind of need to see the lines when that's it taken you need to let yeah. them know that you're yeah. high what you're doing yeah which is fair enough Okay. I'm alright with that So back page Done well here Back page is I've, uh, I've basically called this a stramash A stramash is exactly what I was going to say This yeah. picture is a definition of a stramash sure. It even looks like two Rangers players Kind of tackling each <laughs> other Yeah I think the ball was incidental In this photograph Or even the situation Yeah. So it's, it's an action colour photo Of what can only be described as a stramash Between Rangers and Celtic players From the 1971 Scottish Cup final um, Rangers players Alan Penman Colin Jackson and Ron McKinnon and Harry Hood Tom McCallaghan and I don't know who the Celtic number 9 was at that point I did a wee bit of research for this uh-huh. now, <clears throat> I found the, I found the team for this game but it didn't tell you who was assigned which number but I found a team for the other cup final and number 9 was actually assigned to Harry Hood mm-hmm. however Lou McCarry was the other forward in that Lou game McCary so I think it's Lou McCarry yeah to be honest that's and I, I am being absolutely honest here, that's who I thought it might have mm-hmm. been, but I just, I wasn't sure. Um, but it's a great photograph. Again, the vibrant colours from it, just packed with action. It's a stramash, and we all love a stramash. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going gonna, gonna to have a wee, about our, our charity partner that we, we get involved in back on side. And as we keep saying, we have a donate button, which at this moment in time, we're not, pushing enough so be prepared for us to push the donate button to you essentially you can donate as much as you want but for every pound you donate you get an entry to what we call a raffle and whoever wins the raffle will get a goodie bag with the original magazine that we've been speaking about on the show we'll get the super size magazine and we'll throw in some other goodies as well and I think there's also some books from our previous guests yeah. as well so, so we're, we're going to try and make that quite a you know, it's something which is evolving as we go on here, um, but we're going to try and make it full of goodies that that will get you in. So for every pound, 50% of that will be donated to Back On Side and 50% will go to the podcast to help it running. Uh, so please, you know, if you've enjoyed any of the shows and you've got a spare pound of that, then you're, you're going to help out Back On Side, which I'll, I'll go through what they do in a wee second, and you're going to help us be able to... Um, keep this podcast going as well so 
for back on, <coughs> excuse me, if back on side says here in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health issue each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem, yet it is estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment, leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So that's Back On Side. You can get them on Twitter at Back On Side, one word. Uh, follow them, support them. Even if you don't donate through us, go on to them, help them out. Just even if it's about spreading the word, uh, retweeting anything they want to do, just go on there, help them out. It's an absolutely brilliant effort that they do. Um, we'd like to also say a special thanks as we do to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for letting us use the story of the blues as the music for our show and you can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk check out new gigs and new music from him and lastly as always we'd like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for her great work and her support and for the fact that she gives me the wrong answers through the headphones. <laughs> but So please check out www.transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book rooms, um, recording, rehearsal facilities, and basically keep Diane, you know, busy. So <laughs> so on that, I'd like to thank Tom for, for being Tom as always. Thank you for having me, Andy. I enjoy, thank, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks very much and, again for having me. And thank you to everyone. If you do listen, and if I'm, hopefully I'm not just shouting out to space here, but if you do listen to us, please share it with your friends. Um, you know, get us get us out there. Um, otherwise, until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Yeah.